Well, hello, everybody. Again, Happy New Year. In case this is the first podcast you are joining us with in January 2022, be sure to go back and catch last week's if you missed it. Today, we are looking at the future. We are excited about the future, and I'm excited for you to hear from Pastor Ryan as he looks ahead and shares vision in Adventure is Worth It and hopes and dreams of 2022 for Crossroads Church. As always, be sure to access the show notes for all kinds of links that you might be interested in. First of all, you can access the Connect right. card well, and let us know who's here. Let us know that you're here, where you're happy listening year. from. Maybe not. And so it's much. a good way to connect what would be a better in word with than our happy, community. Right? Not, you can we don't also want a catch word, a link to the feed e-newsletter like, and you'll see what kind of things are going on each week. There's links to give. And so I just encourage you when you're ready, jump into this community and be a peacemaker where you are. Welcome. That's the word of the day. here we go. The word of the day is welcome to the new year. Welcome to the new year. Uh, how many of you do enjoy a bit of an adventure? Anybody enjoy a bit of an adventure? How many of you not at all adventurous person? Like you just own it. Say, nope, I'm good. I like my routine. I, this is what I have to eat on Monday. This is what I have to eat on Tuesday. Like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory was like your hero. Like, no, we go and eat Chinese food on Thursday, right? Not, that's, that's, that's it, right? The adventure for you is not having soy sauce, right? Whatever it might be right? Uh, I'm kind of a bit of an adventurous person. When we first moved out to Colorado a few years ago, I said, I want to like maximize the Colorado experience. I want to live into it. And it was during the winter time, and uh, I saw some posts on Facebook, uh, some people here from uh, one, one young man in particular, I say young man, he's in his 20s, uh, was like they went out on this snow adventure hiking. And I was like, I want to go on a winter adventure. And so like we planned this, and he said, well, what do you think about going and doing your first 14er? This was in like February, I think, or January. And I was like, sure, why not? I don't know. I don't know what that is. I'm up for it. So he says, well, I have to pick you up at like two in the morning. And I immediately was like, wait a second. <laughs> that doesn't feel like a hike. So uh, we did. We picked me up at like two in the morning and we drove out to Beardstadt and uh, really not much warning or anything. I was like, what do I need? He was like, ah, just dress warm, pair of boots maybe some goggles if you have them. He was like super nonchalant about it. So I was like Googling everything I could about like hiking this. And so we get there and he says, oh yeah, we, we're going to have to hike from the lower lot. It'll add about four miles to four miles to the hike because we can't get to the trailhead. And you know, I'm like, all right, that's fine, whatever, no problem. So we get there and uh, we start off on this hike at like three in the morning. And I really thought to myself, like he said to me, we parked, he said, you know, this may be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. And I was like, I got up this morning. I mean, I didn't do anything to prepare for this. What do you mean the hardest thing I've ever done in my life? This is what I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, I've done marathons. I've done triathlons. Like, I had to prepare for those things. Like, I just got up early and put on some snow pants. And uh, so we're we're getting ready to set out. And he says to me, well, I should probably go over everything that's in my hiking bag. And so he starts going through everything. And he's like, and here's the tourniquet. (laughs) Never in my life had anybody ever said that to me in any form whatsoever. And I just immediately thought, like, what are we doing that you need a tourniquet for? And so we, we set off on this thing that should have taken probably, like him by himself, he'd have been done in like three hours. It was like seven and a half hours later, you know. So we're out there. The sun comes up. We're, you know, I think probably close to the end, and we're not. And I just looked at him. His name is Ryan. And I said, Ryan, there's not another person out here. 
like, what are we doing? And he was like, I know, isn't it great? <laughs> but I survived and had like half dollar size like blisters on the back of my, oh, it was, I was like walking like this the last mile and a half. It was, it was pretty interesting. So ate at some restaurant without shoes on. I was like, I don't even care. Kick me out. I do not care. So that was kind of my kickoff to adventures in uh, hiking 14ers in the winter, which I find out most people don't do that. I didn't know that, but now I do. But most people don't do that adventure, but it's fun. But our adventures do come in different sizes and shapes, right? Depending upon who we are, right? So one adventure for me might not be an adventure for you. An adventure for you might not be for me. Uh, but, but whether you kind of, whether it's small or big, it still can be an adventure. So whether you're kind of moving across the country or you're moving across town, right? Either, both of those are adventures, right? Uh, if you go out for a hike, for some person, that could be an adventure. Never gone hiking, go hiking on a walking trail. Or for somebody else, it's hiking up Mount Everest, right? Both are adventures. So the question is, as we kind of launch into 2022, and our emphasis for this year is adventure is worth it, I thought about this idea, what makes for a great adventure? For our fill-in folks, that's your first fill-in. Some of you are just like, your heart was racing. When's the first one? When's the first one? There it is, right there. Big, bold, yellow, right? What makes for a great adventure? And so I started thinking about it. I thought, well, a great adventure comes with a bit of the unknown, right? Like no matter what it is for you, like an adventure tends to have some element of like, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work out, or there's going to be some surprises along the way. A great adventure oftentimes takes us outside of our normal routines, which is why some folks don't like adventures because we like our normal routines. I thought about this too. I think most adventures, for it to be a great adventure, there has to be an element of risk involved, but not necessarily danger. And that's probably more my speed. Like when he started talking about tourniquets, I was like, this went from adventure to asinine. Like what is happening here? Like, I don't know what is going on in my life that I'm with someone who needs a tourniquet for the next whatever we're doing, right? But, but there, there is that element of risk for us, right? There's risky. It gets your heart racing a little bit. And then I thought about this. I think that what makes for a really great adventure, no matter what it is, big or small in your life, is that it gives you a story to tell, right? At the end of the day, you have a story. It doesn't matter like whether you went on a walking trail and you had a beautiful view, right? And so the adventure was just, it was a new space. You had never been there before. And, and you had this beautiful, you have a story to tell, or whether it's nearly dying on Mount Beardstat in February, right? Whatever it might be, you have a story to tell that people want to listen to, and, and it brings us together. And I started thinking about these adventures that produce stories in our lives, like, and I started realizing the really meaningful adventures, like the ones that shape us, the ones that change us, the ones that are long-lasting, they do require something of us that's quite challenging, and that is commitment. Like, I, I have come to believe that adventures, the really great ones, the really meaningful ones, they call us to commitment. Like we have to commit to something. You know, I think in my own life as I just kind of started to think about, well, I remember I was, I was probably in my late 30s and I had a neighbor who was really active and he was like in his mid-60s and he'd run every morning and he would do these races and, I, and he would bike and, and I just thought to myself, like, that's what I want to be. Like when I'm his age, that's what I want to do. And I realized I couldn't wait until I was 58 to decide I should probably start moving a little bit, right? <laughs> 
So I started like committing to this idea of well, what would it look like to take on some challenges and did a 5K and then did a 10K and then a half marathon. Then a, but it was like those things require a measure of commitment and they became meaningful for me because the idea was I want to be really active as I get older and older and older in life. I know you look at me right now, you're like 22. He doesn't have anything to worry about, but it's not true. It's not true. It hurts every morning when I wake up. But I wanted to have a... But in your life, it's the same, right? Whether it's an adventure in your career right? You, you're going to try something new. Maybe it's an adventure in your family, and maybe it's an adventure you didn't really want. Maybe something happened to you in your family, and you're kind of left facing a future that you go, I don't really know what this looks like, right? That, that, that adventure. Maybe, maybe it's something you're doing to your family. You're like, this is what we're going to do. It's going to require commitment, Maybe it's a vacation you want to go to. You're like, this adventurous vacation we want to try, but it's going to take a few years. We've got to save our pennies up along the way. This isn't a, well, we'll be there in six months. Like, this is a big trip we're going to do. Right? That type of, it just takes some time. Maybe it's a hobby. You want to start doing something new, but it takes some commitment. You've got to set aside some time. Really great adventures, they call all of us to commit ourselves to something. And often that something, if it's a really, really great adventure, can feel a bit daunting, can feel a bit like, how do I get there? But but we do it, right? We commit ourselves to it because we believe that at the end of the adventure, right, that that space, that place in life offers us something better and more valuable than the starting point, right? So the crazy thing is I did that first like winter 14 or now it's like in my blood. Like I got to do one every winter. It's stupid because <laughs> I thought last year it'd be better and it was worse. <laughs> it was even worse. But now it's in my blood, right? Like, like, because I know that there's something at the end of it of like, I did it. I did it. And it sits with you and it creates something in you. So maybe it's that career that you're thinking about. Maybe it's the, the family move. Maybe it's the move across town or the move across the country. Or maybe it's a new, whatever it might be, you take the risk, you make the commitment. Because at the end of the day, you say, there's something more valuable at the end. Like, I am something different. I, I find myself transformed through this journey, through this process. And the same is true for a church. Like, the same is true for a church. Like, if, we're, if as a church, we aren't constantly pushing forward, constantly asking, what does God have for us? Constantly saying, where are we headed next? Then we find ourselves just staying at a starting point and missing out on what could be ahead. And here's what I think most fascinating is I really do believe that Jesus offered and he still offers the greatest adventure in life. Like this invitation to follow Jesus as an individual, we call that the scattered church when we go out in our individual everyday normal lives. And then the idea to be the body of Christ, to be a local expression of the hands and feet of Jesus together, I still believe is one of the most adventurous, one of the most amazing opportunities that's given to every person. But not every person is up for it. Not every church is up for it. What I want to do today is look at two stories of people that were invited to this great adventure of following Jesus and two very, very different responses. One person says, it's not worth it. And the other person says, it's worth it. And as we look at these two stories, I wonder if we can just kind of find some wisdom for our own lives and for the life of our church to ask the big question, is adventure worth it? Because that's what 2022 is for us. It's this adventure that we're going into. 
And so I want to look, first of all, at a story in the Gospel of Matthew. If you're new to Bible study, uh, Matthew is the first book of the second part of the Christian Bible. Uh, I always do this because it's, it's, it's in the right side of your Bible, if you have a Bible, if you have it with you. Um, but it's the first gospel. It tells the story of Jesus. The word gospel kind of means good news, an announcement. The word gospel actually comes as military, uh, as military leaders would come and bring an announcement from the emperor. They would bring good news of victory. That's kind of where that word originated from. But Jesus kind of comes bringing good news for every person. And so Matthew tells the unique story of Jesus in a unique way that only Matthew can. And Matthew uh, is telling this story really from a Jewish perspective. And the heartbeat for Matthew is Jesus is greater than Moses. And Moses becomes the greatest rabbi in the history of Judaism, right? He becomes just this incredible teacher. But Matthew's saying to his community, no, Jesus is even better, even better what Jesus offers. And so this invitation that Jesus will give oftentimes to people, and we'll see it in this story, to come and follow is an invitation to be a disciple. It's a fairly technical invitation. And and to be a disciple of a rabbi in the first century meant that you took on this rabbi's life. Like you left everything, you went and you spent time learning their way of life, their way of understanding the world, their way of interpreting the law, their way of changing the world for the better, and you just, you lived it out and you became their student, and it was a great honor to be invited to be a disciple. In fact, if you were invited to be a disciple by a great rabbi, that meant that you were kind of the cream of the crop in terms of your own intellectual ability, in your own commitment to your faith within Judaism, and you'd probably be invited to be a disciple pretty early in life. So what we know is that the disciples that Jesus invited were all older. They probably were passed up. They probably were never considered to be rabbi or be disciples by other rabbis. So it would have come as a shock to them to be invited to be a disciple of this rabbi doing these amazing things. So we have to kind of understand that as we look at these invitations that Jesus gives. So in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, we get this story of someone who has become known in, Christian, in Christendom as the rich young ruler. You might have heard that story if you've been around the Bible. If you haven't, it's okay. But it's this guy who comes up to Jesus one day and he says, teacher, rabbi, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Right? Key word in that whole question is what? I. <laughs> what must I do so that I can have eternal life? Not much concern for the world, <laughs> not much concern for neighbor, just hot into the big debate of is there an afterlife? What does eternal life look like? What is real life? Like? What do I have to do to, to get it? And you see, this young man was really concerned with himself right? Like this interaction with Jesus was based around his own sense of security, his own personal, like what happens to me? What do I need to do? And so Jesus says to him, and and this is a kind of a side question we don't have time to really talk about, but he says, why are you asking me what is good? There's only one who's good. (laughs) And so this, but here's the deal. If you wish to enter life, like if you really want to have life, keep the commandments. Like, wait a second, this doesn't sound like Jesus. Hold on a second. And so he says, keep all the commandments. And and the guy says, well, which ones? And Jesus says, well, how about don't commit murder, uh, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's do those. And the young man says to him, all these things I've kept, I've done all those. What am I still lacking? Like there's something in his heart that he knows, like I've done all that, but why do I still not have confidence? What am I lacking? And Jesus then goes like right for it, right? So Jesus says to him, well, if you wish to be complete, big word, whole, 
have shalom, have peace, right? If you want to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And everybody said amen. <laughs> like people are like looking for the exits. <laughs> Guests are like, I came to the wrong church today. No, I totally understand. No, listen, if you're still logged in, if you're still watching, right? What Jesus is doing, now Jesus doesn't say this to anybody else. We, don't have, we just have this one story, right? So Jesus isn't giving something that everybody's got to do. But what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is taking this young man on a journey. And he's helping him discover what I call his operational faith. Right? We can say we have faith. And then we have our operational faith, that faith which we really operate under. And for this young man, Jesus knew, he could tell by the way he looked, he could tell by the way he talked, he could tell by his clothes versus the clothes of everybody else, that this man put all of his faith in his money. That as long as he had his money and his possessions and his property, and as long as he was in charge, and, and you have to understand for Jesus, this meant an assumption of exploitation, right? That was always going to be an assumption. Jesus was a peasant. Uh, he ministered to peasants, and so people who owned property and had lots of possessions, there was always a measure of oppression there. That, that is an assumption you should always bring to the text when you read it. And so Jesus is saying to him, you can say you have faith and you're following the rules, but you're not confident because you actually are deeply insecure in your faith because your operative value is your wealth. That's where you put your hope in. See, Jesus knew that following the rules would never give a person confident hope. Like, he knew that. So he just sets him up. He's like, well, follow all these rules, right? That's what you're doing. Like, you should feel perfectly good about yourself. And when he gets the man to admit, oh, I follow all those rules. I haven't done those things. Jesus knew that there was like an emotional, spiritual blockage in his life. And that emotional, spiritual blockage in his life and in your life and in my life is always not faith in Jesus, but our operational faith, what we actually operate under, right? Like, it's you know, church works as long as we've got the cameras. Church works as long as we've got live musicians. Church works as long as it's a live teacher. Church works as long as we have this building. Church works, right? We have operational value. We all have them, right? So don't sit back and be like, I would never do that. Like, of course you would. Of course I would. That's why it's timeless, right? That's why it's such a beautiful story because we're the rich young ruler, right? Now, it might not be possessions, but it's something in there. And so Jesus is trying to remove the blockage, right? So remember, he says to him, if you want to be complete, let's go right after your operational value. That thing which you, you, you believe is going to provide all your hope and all your stability, let's get rid of that. Let's take that out of the way. So go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he lays it out. He says, and come, follow me. So he knew there was this issue. To follow him meant he had to say, my, my possessions, my, all the things that I value, I have to set those aside, and then I can actually have that what I want. Confidence is going to be found in following Jesus. So Jesus invites him on an adventure that would give him what he needs, but not what he wants, right? What he wants is just to know, hey, how do I get to go to heaven? How do I not go to, you know, whatever else there was? I mean, there's hot debate around the first century whether there was even a heaven, whether there was even an afterlife, whether there was any kind of punishment. And Jesus is saying, listen, the thing that's stopping you from this amazing adventure that I have, and Johnny says he calls, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls it life to the fullest, is your operational faith, that which you've put all your hope in. Now, you can follow all the rules, but I don't even care about that, <laughs> 
That's not even the point because they can't provide the, the hope that you need. They can't provide what you're looking for. So when he hears this, the text says, but the man, he heard it and he went away grieving. Oh, such a good word, grieving, for he owned much property. Grieving. Now, I, I think his response is really interesting and it begs this question, what did this guy really want from Jesus? Like, what was it all about? And I think that's such a, an important question for every follower of Jesus in every generation. Like, what do I really want from Jesus? Why do I really go to church? I, I've been in the circles. I've been in the settings where it's I go to church because I want to feel good about myself. I want to go and I want to feel the goosebumps and I want to walk out just feeling encouraged and I want to know that I'm loved by God and I want to leave. But there's really no movement. There's no change. There's no shift in the, in the way we live our lives. There's no shift in, in the really hard stuff of life. But I just want, I want, and I think that's kind of what this was, was this was a guy who was really concerned about himself. I think it's a common thread in all of us that there's got to be some measure of like, what do I get out of it kind of feeling. I don't think that God, Jesus is opposed to us asking the question, what do I get out of it? Right? I think there's, there's life to the fullest, but it, it's through a path that we don't generally expect. And so I want to now jump over to another person who's given the same invitation, but who responds completely differently. And here's what's interesting. This person is probably just as wealthy as the rich young ruler, maybe even more wealthy. And so if we look in the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third gospel in the New Testament, Luke chapter 5, we find the story of the calling of Levi or Matthew. Sometimes it's translated as Matthew. Uh, in this translation, it's Levi, it's his Hebrew name. And here's what it says. It says, after that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector. Now, anytime you read the word tax collector in the Gospels, you should, in the background of your mind, hear what? A soundtrack that goes, dun, 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 right? That's like, that's your, that's your audio cue, right? Like, big red flag, okay? So, we hear that tax collector sitting in his tax booth, <sighs> Right, hissing and booing, boo, right? Like imagine throwing vegetables, you know, whatever. Now, he says, after that, what was the that? Well, in Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26, we're given this really beautiful story right before the calling of Levi. And this is a story, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but there's a, a group of people that are bringing their friend to Jesus for healing, and he was on a mat, he couldn't walk, he was paralyzed, but they couldn't get him to Jesus, so they climb on top of a house, and they lower him through an opening in the roof right in front of Jesus, and Jesus is like blown away by the faith of this, this crew. And so like the Pharisees are all there, and the religious leaders, and Jesus says, oh, your sins are forgiven, and they freak out like, how can he forgive sins? He's not allowed to forgive sins. And so Jesus says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. Because there was always an attachment in antiquity to physical disease and sin. So I happen to believe a lot of the stories about Jesus' healing that we have are to help us understand Jesus' authority over sin and evil in our lives. Because there was a, a thought that said, if you had an ailment or you were poor or anything like that, it was because of sin, right? Because you weren't living right, <laughs> okay? Not that we still believe that, okay? So, <laughs> so they can't figure, so, so here's the deal. That's what has just happened. Like Levi sitting in his tax collector's booth, watching this crowd, watching this take place, sees it. 
And so Jesus looks out and he goes over to this man who's sitting there. And he's just, and he just knows something's going on. But Levi had watched, had seen the healing, and he understood his own woundedness. When you, when, when you hear me say the word wound, if you're a church person and you like the word sin, replace it with sin. If you're a church person and the word sin has been used to manipulate you, then throw it out and use the word wound, wounding, woundedness. It's, I think it's the same exact principle. Like Levi understood that he had wounded a lot of people as a tax collector. Levi had probably himself been wounded by a lot of people because he was a tax collector. He had been excluded he wasn't welcomed. He wasn't Roman. He really wasn't Jewish in the eyes of the Jewish people. He was a complete outsider. He would have been considered the worst of the worst. I mean, he just would have been, I mean, talk about lonely. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. He was a traitor. Rome really didn't trust him just enough. All he was there was just to make money for Rome. So he sits in this in-between world. He doesn't belong, and he, he knows it. Like, he just knows it. And I wonder if Levi sat in that task collector booth and he watched that man being lowered and he just thought to himself, I just wish somebody would lower me. I just wish somebody would love me enough to lower me in front of Jesus. I wish somebody would come that close to me. I mean, he, Levi probably thought this guy was a sinner. Levi probably thought this guy was unclean. He, I just imagine that he thought, I just wish somebody, somebody would explain to Jesus what happened to me that got me in this booth. Could it be? I bet he longed for that forgiveness. I bet he longed for that healing that that paralytic man had just experienced. And you know this, that there is a suffering far greater that's physical. Like there is the suffering of loneliness and exclusion and pain that comes to our emotion, that comes to our social standing, that's far greater than oftentimes the, the physical pain that we experience. And that's what Levi was sitting in. Would somebody just lower me? Is there nobody to love me, to care for me like that, to believe in me like that? But Jesus walks right over to his tax collector booth, just looks right at him, and he says, follow me, follow me. And in one little moment, in two words, Jesus forgives and he heals in one action, inclusion. He says, you're in. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you, Levi. It doesn't matter if anybody else, I'm here. If you want, come and follow me. You see, inclusion is healing. <laughs> it's healing. When everyone is welcome at the table, healing takes place. And so the worst of sinners, the one who would be out that nobody would ever lower close to, nobody thought would ever deserve Jesus, is healed. And I love that Levi, he doesn't ask anything. He doesn't assume anything like, well, what am I going to have to do to follow you? Does that mean I have to do? He doesn't ask anything. He doesn't do anything. The text just says this, he left everything behind and got up and followed him. That's an adventurous spirit. And the only reason why you give up that measure of comfort, the only reason why you give up that is because you recognize this isn't what I want for my life. Like all this stuff, like I'm desperate for belonging. I am desperate for purpose. I'm desperate for meaning. And so for Levi, the adventure was worth it. 
Whatever it was going to cost, it didn't matter because he had felt the pain of exclusion. He felt the pain of his own woundedness and his own wounding. And he says, I'm done with that. Text goes on and says that Levi gave a big reception. He threw a party in his house. And there was a great cloud of tax collectors. Dun, 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 right? You got to always hear that. And other people who were reclining at the table with them. What? Then it says the Pharisees and the scribes, so the religious leaders, the pastors of the day, right? They were all grumbling. They were grumbling at the disciples and they were saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because eating and drinking would have been like the most inclusive thing you could do in this culture, like table fellowship was to, to say you're of value, was to say I agree with you. They said, why are you doing this? Jesus hears it and he comes over and he says, here's the deal. It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call uh, the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, again, if those words have like pain for you, if like sin and repentance have pain for you, can I just give you some new words? I haven't come to call those who are healed. <laughs> I've come for those who were wounded to find healing. Like just replace the words woundedness and healing with sin and repentance. I believe deeply it's the same thing. Because here's the deal. If you're sick and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, do this, stop doing this, start doing that, you're going to find healing. But if you choose not to stop doing this and start doing that, are you going to find healing? No. So repentance is simply that. It's changing, <laughs> right? It's a change of action, a change of behavior, right? So, so if those words have been used to control and manipulate you, throw them out. They're no good anymore, and just grab a hold of words that make sense, that carry the same meaning, wounded and healed. Jesus says, that's what I'm here for. It's totally different than the rich young ruler who was in that category of like, look at my life, it's good, it's perfect, I've got all this good stuff, I'm righteous, God has blessed me. Hashtag blessed, he had the t-shirt. <laughs> Some of you just went into your closet and you're like, oh, I got to get rid of that one now. No. <laughs> But here's, here's what I've learned. I didn't uh, used to know this. <laughs> I didn't even know if I used to believe this, but I would say in the last decade, I've come to believe it deeply that I'm willing to just about give up anything because of it. That the adventure of Jesus, like a true, real, genuine, authentic adventure with Jesus will always lead to the wounded and will always lead to the excluded. And if it doesn't, we're not on the right train. We're not on the right train. That's where the adventures take us. The adventures take us to the spaces where people are wounded and excluded. And what are the wounding agents in our world? We talk about them as our five unacceptables. Spiritual emptiness, poverty, illiteracy, fear of the other, human trafficking, modern day human. Like these are the great big, these great big concepts that persist. They're truths in our world, unfortunately. And they're unacceptable, but they exist. And this is where we press ourselves into as a church, to rewrite and change. And so here's the thing from these two stories that I don't want us to miss. It's a question that each and every one of us, whether you're tuning in online, whether you're sitting out in the atrium, whether you're in this room, or whether you got stuck in the snow in the parking lot and you're listening to it in your car, <laughs> whichever. Here's the question. What type of church do you want to be in 2022? What type of church do you want to be in 2022? Not what type of church do you want to be a part of. That's too easy. 
That's too easy because then it's somebody else. If I'm just a part of it, then it's somebody else's responsibility. No, the question is, what kind of a church do you want to be in 2022? Do we want to be a church that's operative, that just says, well, if we have good enough music and good enough brochures and fun enough children's programming, and if we have a, enough giving in the offering, we'll just call it a day. And, that, and those are all, and if there's enough people in the room, then, then that's our operative reality. If we hit those numbers, if we pay the mortgage, if we, if we can pay the payroll, if we, if, oh, then we're good. Like, is that what's going to be? Are we going to be an adventurous church? Are we going to live like Levi and follow Jesus, setting everything aside, going after it? And so here's the challenge. Exchange, you can clap. That's wonderful. I don't, you know, I don't, I cheer them on. That's great. Here's the thing. I just want to encourage you as an individual and me as an individual that I don't want to live under an operational faith that's just based upon, well, as long as people see me in my profession as successful, meaning that this many people go to the church that I pastor and the budget is this big and there's this much staff, then I'm successful. I've, I've, I've been in that world. I don't, I, don't, I don't want that. I just don't. I, I want to go to the spaces and go with people to the spaces where there's woundedness and where there's, where there's outcast and where there's pain and where there's exclusion. And I want to err on that in that space. And I think that's who we are. So I want to encourage you to exchange whatever your operational faith is for adventurous faith. Just in, internally, just like take a big old breath and and, and, and own what is it that your operational faith is. Is it is, What is it that you actually believe provides the stability in your life and the purpose and meaning, right? Let Jesus mess with that. Not me. I can't mess with that. That's way above my pay grade. Way above my pay grade. But the Spirit of Jesus can if you'll open up your heart and say, okay, where's, what's my inner rich young ruler? Like, where is that? Like, what is it? What is it that, that, that where my comfort is? What is it that if Jesus were to say, just get rid of that, that's the blockage, then you'll have life with me, come and follow me, you'll be all set. Like, what would it be that you'd be like, ooh, sorry, Jesus, I'm out. I can tell you what it'd be in my life. I know, I mean, we all have those things. I mean, let's just, it would take a while to be like, I gotta go think about that one, Jesus. Like, what would it be? You see, Levi made the exchange because he understood his own wounds he felt the pain of rejection, of exclusion, of his own failure. The rich young ruler couldn't get it because he was too caught up in his comfort and his status. And it's why it's so difficult, I think, for the American church to really press in and really make deep, long-term, meaningful impact is because we are comfortable. I'm comfortable. I have a fireplace in my office. Like, that's the epitome. I mean, in the office. Y'all built that right. <laughs> Granted, it's freezing because it's on the far end of the building that doesn't get any heat, so I appreciate it. But in there, I mean, it's, I could sit back in there and, you know, smoke a pipe and sip, you know, what, I'm not, I mean, whatever. Like, it'd be easy to kick the feet up and be like, oh, we're there, right? But, but, but we're in that comfort zone, right? So there's those two types of faith that are out there, and I think there is, there's the me-centered and then there's the Jesus-centered, Right? Like the Jesus-centered always pushes us into the other. So here's the call, right? This is the moment in time for us. I want to encourage every one of us as individuals, as households, to pledge ourselves to this adventure in 2022. 
to give of ourselves, our time, our talent, and our treasure. You hear me talk about this all the time. You're like, oh my gosh, yes, because this was the heartbeat of Jesus. Come and follow me. It was it. It was everything. It was time, talent, and treasure. I don't know how to do it any other way. And so I want to encourage you to pledge it, to make a commitment to an adventure that's worthwhile. So what is our time? Pledge your time to grow as a peacemaker. Grow in your intimacy with God. Take advantage of your church. That's what I always say. Take advantage of your church. Make this time a meaningful moment, a purposeful moment. Tune in on Sunday mornings. Come, be a part of it, however you're comfortable in this pandemic reality. But make your own spiritual soul care a priority, right? Grow in intimacy. Take advantage of the journeys that are out there. Take advantage of, of all the resources that are out there so that you can like dig in and grow and be challenged in your understanding of God. So that's what we mean when we say give your time. Give your time to your own personal spiritual growth and spiritual health. I want to encourage you to then give your talent to rewriting the five unacceptables as the gathered church. So every week, barring four weeks out of the year, I'm here to help you go out and live out this faith on Monday. I, I will end just about every message with, what does this mean for your everyday normal life? Today is about the gathered church, though. Today I'm trying to call us to be the gathered church, and what does that look like? And so I want to encourage every one of us, everybody just say, everyone. If you're online, type everyone into the comment section. Everyone. Because I don't want anybody to think I'm not talking about you. I'm totally talking about you to your face right now. <laughs> All right? Every one of us have a talent that we can use as part of the gathered church to build peace in our community, that we can invest in another generation. And so I want to encourage you to give your talents through volunteering with the gathered church in some way this year, in a regular way. So I want to present to you right now three, three spaces that I think are really strategic for our church in the next year. So three key volunteer opportunities in 2022. The first one is the adventure team. So what we're calling the adventure team, what we're working on is our, is our ministries that work with kids and students. That's the kids adventure team. Now here's what's so exciting for us here is that we uh, have invited and we've offered and she has accepted and we have a new elementary program director showing up on January 24th. That's exciting. And I, I, we're, we can't tell you her name right now because she's still in the process of leaving well her place, but she comes to us with 20 years of faith formation experience with kids, loves kids, Love seeing kids grow in their love of Jesus. Love seeing kids be grounded in a God that is filled with love and grace and mercy and hope. Loves it. Has 20 years of experience working in camps as we develop summer camps for kids here. We just believe that God has brought this person to us. But it's going to be a tough gig on our own. <laughs> it's going to be a very tough gig on our own. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that adventure team to come alongside her, come alongside Jamie, our new uh, preschool program director. Bring in some fresh blood to come and support those volunteers that are in there and give once a, a month, twice a month to just love these kids, encourage these kids to build a program that's not built on just glitz and glamour, but it's built on relationships and understanding God as love. We have another leader stepping in this season. Ann Martinez is stepping in as our music director. 
and it's going to bring her uh, unique gifts and talents. Anne has an incredible heart for worship, a gigantic passion for equipping people to use their talents in music to encourage our congregation. This is a beautiful opportunity to jump in right? To just be a part of the music team. So if you have a, an interest in that, if you play an instrument, if you sing, or even if you think you can do those things, we'll tell you if you can't, okay? <laughs> but that's always, like, here's the deal in all seriousness. Like, that's the deal when it comes to the music thing, though. Like, you should come excited, but you should don't come if you can't be told, yeah, uh, <laughs> love your heart, but let's maybe go talk to the adventure team, right? Like, that was me, by the way. I love music, but I just could never make a career out of it, you know? So here's the thing, right? If, that, if you think that's something you want to, then go for it. Give it a try, right? That's another. And then our third area that I think is really strategic this year where we have a new leader stepping in is our facilities team. Cy Dieter has come and he uh, took over our facilities management position uh, and, and he's doing a great job. He's brand new, but he needs people around him, men and women who, who really don't want to have anything to do with music, <laughs> who the last thing they want to do are like work with kids, but they want to make sure that the facility is safe and welcoming and clean. And that's a great space to give talent. Like it is, this is a wonderful facility. Cy has, you'll love getting to know Cy. Sai has a powerful faith story of God's work in his life, of their journey to Colorado. He's passionate to learn. He wants to grow in this work. He wants to invest in people who have talents for the facilities. Like, you're going to love Sai. If you've got those, you don't want me fixing stuff, okay? I'm just here to break stuff and make a mess, right? I'm not. But for, like, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity. And so if, you're, if you want to just explore that, there's some ways to say yes. There's some ways to raise your hand. There's the connect card. Right on the back of the connect card, it says, I want to uh, give my talent, and you can choose one of those three areas. Just hang on to that, and then after the service, go out into the atrium, or if you're online, hit submit. But if you're here in the building, you can go out to the atrium, and we have our volunteer central is set up there, and uh, our volunteer engagement team is there to help. Sai's going to be out there, I believe. I believe that Amber's going to be there to help with elementary. Anne is at home recovering from COVID, so she's not going to be there, but she's super excited about it. So this, you can go and meet these people and meet the teams and get connected. There's also the pledge card that we want everybody to fill out and turn in over the next three weeks. You could fill it out there, right? And, and, and just, just raise your hand and say yes. And then the third area is our treasure. I really don't need to say much about this because y'all get it, right? We give financially to accelerate the peacemaking vision. And the idea of giving to the Adventure is Worth It Fund is to just give a little bit extra every week, every month, however your giving pattern is. And so you bring in your regular tithes, your regular offerings, like we talk about the power of 10% giving. You just give a little bit extra and you commit that through the year. We've got a great start. Uh, next week, I'll give you the total number of like either pledged money or money that's been given to the Adventures Worth It uh, initiative already, just from year-end giving from December. But just make that pledge and say every month, every week, whatever your giving pattern is, every quarter, maybe you give once a year, whatever, just give extra and we get there. And our ministries accelerate, our ministries continue forward in spite of the pandemic, in spite of the reality of what so many churches are going through, like ours, right? We can continue to press forward into those spaces of exclusion and woundedness. And if you have questions about where the giving is going, what are the types of things that we're going to be doing, you can look inside that new brochure there that explains some of the key things and the, our partners in hope is continuing to be developed, the continued development of our inclusion ministries, uh, 
we're doing new adventures in ministry development within emotional and spiritual health this year. All kinds of great stuff. So I just want to encourage you, read through that, know exactly what's happening, and, and know that you're accelerating through your time, talent, and treasure the work that God's called us to this year. And then here's the thing. You can expect, like even as we're giving our regular tithes and we give to the adventure, that we're always, as a church, going to present urgent needs like what has happened with the fires, with natural disasters, that where we can even give more of ourselves because generosity is one of our values. There'll never be a shortage of opportunities to give our time, talent, and treasure here at Crossroads. So here's the thing, and this is the question for me, does it even make a difference? Will this make a difference? Will this year make a difference? I think it's up to us. But I think if we will say yes to the adventure, if we'll say yes to the commitment, if we'll say what is desperately needed in Christendom are more and more churches that are willing to go to the wounded, that are willing to go to the excluded, that are willing to value inclusion, that are willing to value mystery over certainty. The more we can do that, I think it's an adventure in following Jesus. And what I've learned and what I've seen in my 20 years of this business is that adventures in following Jesus always produce stories of God showing up. Like those moments where you just can't expect it, you don't know what happened, but it just is like, that's God. And I've started to hear the stories. I've started to meet the people's lives who have benefited from a church that is saying, we're going to make decisions and be committed to our values of wisdom and fun and inclusion and generosity and creativity. I've heard stories from Wendy of those in the deaf and hard of hearing community who are finding a space where they can sit anywhere they want to and go to church. And they can be included fully. And we're just at the beginning of those types of inclusion ministries. I think of the photo that's in your program there of the Sissel family and some of the things that they've posted there here today about the, just being able to come to church because there's a space for their kiddos that can feel safe and loved and cared for. I've had conversations with people who said to me, I never thought I'd be able to worship again in a community of faith. I never thought I'd be able to, but I can do that here. I never thought I'd be accepted. I never thought that my marriage, I never thought that I'd be honored. I never thought that I, and, but I'm able to do that here. And, and those are God's stories. Those are God's stories. So we're going to have communion today. We're going to wrap up here. And as we receive communion, I just, I hope that it'll be this moment where you commit yourself internally to participating, to making this one of the best years in the history of Crossroads Church a great history where God has done amazing and beautiful things and God will do it again. But I just, I think the spirit of Jesus is always looking for those churches that are willing, those people that are willing to open their heart up and just say yes to those adventures. So there's some next steps, there's some potentials that God might be inviting you into. You can look at there on your connect card, but as we receive communion, just a quick reminder for everybody, you don't have to have gone through a class here. There's no paper to sign. This is for everyone. The bread and the cup are reminders that what nourishes us is the Spirit of Jesus. And what unites us is God's love for every person on the planet. So there's nothing you could do to earn the juice or the cup, just like there's nothing you could do to earn God's love. There's nothing you could do to ever fall out of God's love. So there's nothing you could ever do that the juice and the cup are not for you. They're for you. So I'm going to invite you to stand up, and I'm going to invite our room host to come forward and serve us this morning. So while we sing this song, if you want to slip out, and on your own, uh, 
you can take the juice and the bread. You don't need to wait for me. This represents the body of Christ broken for you and all seven billion people on the planet and the blood of Christ shed for you and all seven billion people on the planet. And so as you receive the bread and the cup as you want to, just you can take that little lid off and serve yourself. If you're here with your family, maybe you want to pray together. That's beautiful. If you're here with someone, you want to just take a moment and pray together, you can do that as well. And then we're going to, while we sing this song, after we sing this song, we're going to fill out our connect cards, receive our offering, have a blessing and get out of here. On your way out this morning, you can drop your Connect card, uh, your offering envelopes in the orange kiosks. We have some, our ushers were ready to receive the offering this morning, but we're going to get you out of here. We're running a little late. Um, if you're online, you can just hit the submit button. If you are interested in learning more about those three areas of volunteering, just I would encourage you to stop at the volunteer central tables over there and just say hi and take your Connect card right to them. Next week, we're starting a brand new series called Love You, Love University, where we're going to just take a few weeks to study 1 Corinthians 13, this great piece of literature on love, and it culminates with Football Sunday with our guest speaker, former NFL player Ricky Bolden. It's going to be a great uh, four or five weeks together, so I hope you'll be a part of that. Invite somebody to tune in. So if you'll do me a favor and lift up your arms and just receive the blessing for the week, as we, the Crossroads Church family, begin the adventure that is 2022. May we stay centered on loving mercy and doing justice and walking humbly with our God. May we be a beautiful expression of the gathered church, a local body of Christ, rewriting the five unacceptables in both our local and global communities. And may we find our adventurous spirit and each of us commit a measure of our time, talent, and treasure to the good work ahead of us, work that brings hope and healing to the wounded and excluded. And so, as we leave this place, log off our computers or turn off our podcasts, may God fill each of us with excitement, humility, and grace. Excited for the future work God will do through us. Humbled that each of us as individuals have been given such a high calling in Christ Jesus and grace for one another as we link arms and commit together to making the world a better place in Jesus' name in 2022. Amen. Have an awesome week, everybody. And go Colts. Go Colts. We want to say go Colts, everyone. Go Colts. Let's go. No, okay.